1: and welcome everyone if things look a little different today we are coming to you from austin texas and the sound shed studios they very kindly hosting us and uh, i'm out here a fair bit so i might once in a while stop by the studio give us some flexibility and today we are interviewing dr clayton baker he is an internist like myself and uh, much like kelly victory he was early to concerns about some of the excesses in the COVID pandemic and his concerns have only grown since then um Both he and Kelly and I share concerns about our access to uh, high quality editorial medical information, and uh, we're concerned that the major journals have been uh, adulterated in certain ways, and uh, various other things he's going to talk to us about today. So please do stick with us. Of course, we'll be watching things on the Rumble Rants and over on the Restream. And as I said, Kelly Victory is here with me. But first, I'll be welcoming Dr. Kaler Baker, uh, Dr. Clayton Baker myself, Sorry, there's a lot of disorientation to being in a new studio. We'll get right to it. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this right. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous.
0: <laughs> I'm a doctor for
1: <laughs> where the hell you think I learned that? Thanksgiving is almost here, which means it's time for the best Genucel sale of the year. Just in time for the holidays, save over 60% off both of our personally tailored Genucel skincare packages at genucel.comslash Drew so you can look your very best at all of your Thanksgiving gatherings. Look 10, 15, 20 years younger, guaranteed with the best natural skincare anywhere. Take advantage of Genucel's best sale of the year and say goodbye to fine lines, crow's feet, puffiness. And dark spots. The Genucell experience is like no other, but don't take my word for it. You will look and feel your absolute best, or your money back, no questions asked. So for results in 12 hours or less, Genucell's immediate effects is included for free. Plus, if you go to Genucell.com/drew now, you'll get a free upgrade to priority shipping. That is Genucell.com/drew. G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com drew. Did you remove a comment? Hey, we are here. Uh, Susan and I are just chatting. She's actually in the studio here with me. She's got to. She's got to get her mic on. So give her a second. So
0: you, your mic doesn't isn't muted. So when you start asking me questions,
1: ah, answer, okay. Well, so you heard us talk about the fact that we're over on the Rumble Rants, and I see a message where it says it was removed by the moderator, and I'm wondering if that was Susan. I,
0: I, did, that. Was I, I did that. It was spam. I didn't say who's. that. It was
1: spam. Ah. Gotcha. Okay, well, somebody's in there I didn't even write who's hallucinating, and it popped up. It it is so odd to me, though. You know, Caleb, some of you may not see this, but before the show, while we're warming up, the sort of preamble, Caleb will put up videos of old shows. In the last couple of shows, he's been putting up uh, our last interview with Dr. Zelenko. And uh, in that interview, he talks about how uh, someone was predicting, uh, by the late 2020s, everyone will have a digital identifier. And I don't know if you're aware, but the European Union just approved digital wallets and their comment after getting that approved was, all right, let's get to work on putting something in that wallet, which is going to be all the health material that we've been very concerned about. And we were talking to Christine Anderson about yesterday. So continuing the that the discussion we had yesterday, Kelly and I are welcoming Dr. Clayton Baker. Uh, Dr. Baker is an internist like myself. We, we have a very similar uh, training and background. He's a little younger than I am, but he was early to concerns about uh, COVID-19 and some of the excesses by the international community and our government in particular. Please welcome Dr. Clayton Baker. Welcome, sir.
0: Thanks, Drew. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So you and Kelly were chatting before the mic's heated up here on on air, and I thought it was interesting uh, uh, you were talking about how COVID tore some of the veneer off, things that, concerns that have been kind of free-floating for a long time in medicine. And you said something very interesting, and I'm going to quote you. It's it's a quote about how people go broke. I forget who wrote it. You may be able to straighten me out on this, but I'd heard it before, which is, it happens slowly and then quickly. And that's, a, that's sort of what happened during COVID. There was a lot of concerns flying around about, how medicine was going and then COVID hit and it's like, oh man, we got a lot of problems here and they're very obvious now.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That's the Hemingway quote from, uh, sun also rises. The guy, One guy asked the other guy, how'd you go broke? And he said gradually. And then suddenly, and we were talking about that Kelly and I, because, you know, you knew that there were a lot of problems in, in our profession, you know, a lot of, um, undue influence due to big pharma Mm -hmm. a lot of compromise in the way that uh clinical trials are held a lot are are not just held but how they're um you know devised and how they're funded of course and all of these factors were so present and we kind of knew about them we're kind of aware of them and and they you know, the the industry kind of scratched the surface on dealing with them, but never really addressed them. And now you see with COVID, it's just completely out of control. And it's really discouraging, as I said uh, to Kelly, for two reasons. One, because it took this knock on the head, which was COVID for me to really wake up about it. But then I feel like so many people in our profession still haven't woken up despite getting that knock on the head.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and and I got to tell you that that my I'm continuing to evolve. You know, I my, uh, as long as I've been practicing, general medicine, um, I've always said, oh man, first of all, these insurance companies and the hospitals and the various regulatory organizations, you know, whether it's the VA or the California Medical Association or the Department of Mental Health or insurance, I what there was all these people who were invading my ability to maintain invading my relationship with my patient, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I just kept saying, look, the most effective unit we have in medicine is a well-trained, caring patient and an informed patient, who, who a motivated, informed patient. That's it. Those, that is your best unit. Anything you do to that or put on top of that, you're going to adulterate it and make things less efficient. And so my whole career, it's been primarily fighting on the insurance on the hospital side. But mm-hmm. I realized recently really, and COVID is what brought this to sort of focus for me, we've lost. We have lost as physicians. We have to find a way to put the authority and the control of healthcare in the hands of patients because we have lost our ability to control it completely. It's just, we got to run up the white flag and admit it. We've, it like you said, it's been free, a free-floating concern. First, I don't know how long you've been practicing medicine. It's 40 years for me. For, for the entire right. time I've been worried about this and it's been getting worse, worse, worse. And it's now when we COVID made me realize, oh, we're all employees, we're all adulterated, it's over.
0: I hate to say that I agree with what you just said, but I not because it's so discouraging, but I, I agree with what you just said. You know, it's something where we we, we, we can are, put it, we can give it back
1: to the patients. There's gotta be a way where we can creatively Give things more, put control more in the hands of the patients, so they can advocate. Mm -hmm. We can help them advocate for themselves rather than us advocating for them, as we had hoped, as we'd been trained to do. Where did did you go to undergraduate, by the way?
0: I did my undergraduate at Harvard, and I did my medical school at McGill. And it's interesting you mention that because McGill, back in those days, was old school um, medical education. I mean, I'm I'm just old enough that I actually had a oral exams with three attending physicians on the other side of the table, grilling you until they found out what you didn't know. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. really, things are unrecognizable now compared to 30 years ago. Yes. Well,
1: and, and I'm wondering if you, if you also had science education as an undergraduate, cause you, you strike me as somebody who has mm-hmm. had good science education.
0: I was yeah. a bioengineer. And, and that's, yeah.
1: that's also missing. That's also missing a lot from people's training. And if, if you've had science training, and you have rational uncertainty. If you're rationally right. sort of skeptical and looking at things, you can't help but shake your head and go, "What?" Particularly all these people that are expressing irrational certitude. It, it just right. it just strikes you as absolutely bizarre. And I, you know, I was talking to I'm forgetting his name now. The guy Azar, Secretary of HHS Azar. I had to meet him and talk to him, and I was complaining about how how um, phase you know our our our, our uh, randomized controlled trials were so underpowered and were adulterated and he looked at me cuz remember he was, he used to be talk about the coziness between the government and the drug companies mm-hmm. he was the ceo of lilly he was the ceo right. of lilly and he, he was a good guy he was a good guy and he was a smart guy and i talked to him and he goes he goes we don't know how to fund how to fund the phase 3 trial. There's nobody right. else that can fund it other that has a deep enough pocket other than pharma, and we don't know what to do about that. And that was my where my alarms first went off. And then with COVID, watching what's happened to the editorial process of the major journals, mm-hmm. that's where i my head exploded. <laughs> and so yeah. what do, what do we do about this?
0: Well, I think one thing is I think if you start with the perhaps ooh, the the more correctable. I don't know if anything's fully correctable, but the more correctable possibilities. One thing I would say is that the traditional medical literature and the traditional medical journals are largely dinosaurs anyway. I think there has to be a different way to mm. get study study results and so on out than through those journals. And I say that as someone who wrote, you know, I, my, CV still says, I got one publication in New England Journal, you know, but the reality of the matter is, is that they're so compromised and their, their business models are outdated. They're either owned by someone like Elsevier who is rotten, or they just take pharma money and do whatever pharma tells them because nobody pays for a, Mm. uh, uh, nobody pays for a subscription anymore. You know, so Um, You know, this is the kind of, I think we really need to look at that as just an antiquated model in terms of getting information out there. And I think that maybe some of these free sources and so on are a much better way to go. Um, I think when it comes to the trials, I think that it's really problematic because we've been indoctrinated into thinking that these randomized controlled um, trials are the be all and end all for every aspect of medicine when they just simply aren't. Um, they do the, They are the best if they're well-designed and well-run to demonstrate causality, but they're not necessarily at all the best way to demonstrate um, number needed to treat or any of those other things that are so important when it comes to practicing medicine clinically. And that's what we've seen, I think, largely during COVID, isn't it? Because, you know, we have studies, for example, of masking where, you know, you have a whole state like Florida where they had the data showing the schools that masked and the schools that didn't mask and there wasn't any difference whatsoever. Well, that should be case closed, really. It doesn't matter if the holes in the mask are smaller than the virus or not. If you've got 10,000, you know, kids Who wore masks or were told to wear masks. I mean, it corrects for all of the problems with an individual doing the mask properly, et cetera, et cetera. So, a randomized controlled trial is not as good as some kind of retrospective trial for that type of thing. And yet, we've been indoctrinated into thinking the only way to know if anything's true or not is through a randomized controlled trial, which, as you pointed out, is so expensive that only pharma can afford it. And number two, is only as good as the way it was designed. So I think that that's something to really keep in mind going forward that, you know, if if you can't afford a, an RCT, maybe that's not an option, you know?
1: Yeah, and, uh, and I, I really am dismayed that clinical impression, clinical experience of practitioners has been, has been completely, I didn't wanna say adulterated or minimized, it's just been completely ignored as, you know, What are you going to believe? You, you, me, or your lying eyes? You're you're not allowed to believe your lying eyes, even when you see things over and over and over again. Uh, And and, and again, we may be wrong. We may be wrong on precisely what we're doing, but we know what's happening. You know, we know when people get better and when they don't get better. It's it's just as simple as that. Yes, maybe it's just our caring presence that has a significant impact on what's going on. But who cares? We're making people right. better. That's what's important here, but I, I do right. care. I, I'm being facetious and angry about this whole thing. But let me talk really quickly, before we bring Dr. Kelly Victory in here a couple of minutes, about something we were talking to Christine Anderson about yesterday, which is about gen- medical freedom generally, and the fact that now we have the World Health Organization coming in with a treaty, so-called to uh, right. get, uh, you know sort of uh, authority over our sovereign uh, institutions, our duly elected institutions in an emergency. We have the digital wallet now in the EU. Are, are you know what do we do about that? It seems like that's a terribly concerning trend.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I'll be blunt. I think that you know we talked about some perhaps insoluble problems within our profession. I think the one that's soluble is just get out of the WHO. I don't think that the WHO is serving any kind of a positive or salutary function whatsoever i think it's a power grab and i think they've demonstrated that and uh, you know i think that that's something that is is just simple as can be it's it's just something they really don't have the at this stage who knows what it could be like in 10 or 20 years but right now they really don't have the means to enforce their you know that's always been one of the problems with the un is they can't really enforce their their mandates so if you just say well we're not going to play um, I think that's the simplest and best way. And maybe the best way for us or people who feel this way is just say, this is not public health. This is a power grab and we we don't want any part of it. And you're not going to want any part of it once you fall into it. Um, there's a guy, John Campbell, I think is his name, Dr. John Campbell in the UK who put out a great 13 minute um, review. It's on U- Twitter where he just goes through item by item with the things that they're trying to update from that 2005 Document and it's just it's just boggles your mind that anyone would want to sign on to that. To me, it to my boggles my mind anyway.
1: Yeah, he he also does a good job of reviewing some of the claims by the uh, British Health Service versus what is what is actually uh, just published data and opinions of the CDC. Uh, there's there's so many. I, it just i just when i when i think about what i've learned through this whole thing it's like the bureaucracies particularly non-medical bureaucracies in particular but any bureaucracy just can't be making medical decisions it's a disaster absolutely. when they do absolutely and that's what we have you now, mentioned and that's what you're you thinking. mentioned yes yes and you mentioned colleges too which is another domain where there's a battle going on in terms of these vaccine mandates i think the only way that's going to get undone is if kids who are be get injured and there's gonna has to be some i mean it's just statistically the way we, we now know there's gonna be a certain amount of young at least that have some sort of injury and
0: they should be suing the hell out of those schools for requiring them to take something they didn't need that hurt them absolutely and i think that that's something that i would say if there's anyone in a university that's you know by chance listening to this podcast the things that you have um the the protections that the vaccine manufacturers have like the 1986 vaccine act and so on i've read that and i'm no lawyer but it doesn't say anything about the people that are if you're if it's not it's someone who's forcing someone to take it it protects the manufacturer to a very i think unreasonable right. degree but it doesn't uh, it doesn't protect anybody who's forcing these things inappropriately on people and so they'd better be careful because right. i think what you're saying is absolutely no. true they Listen, and this, and this, hey, we
1: didn't know, we're just doing the best we could. It's like, how did uh, Dr. Baker and I knew something wasn't right? How come we had concerns about that? How come Aaron Cariotti, as a bioethicist, had to stand up and go, hey, don't do this. You don't have enough information for a mandate. And then he's fired. I mean, this, right. this, is, this is the problem. The excesses are the problem. Not that you were trying to do the right thing. Not that you made a mistake. No problem with any of that. It was the excesses and the authoritarianism and the punitive quality that was rolled out, and the lack of assessing and looking at risk reward, and all the things that are the very fundamentals of when you are doing medicine, when you are giving something to people. You have to do that right. constantly,
0: right? And I, you know, that's something you talked about being aware of this very early on in COVID, and for me, it was something that clinically I saw right away. It's that I can't get. You know, before COVID, everyone was hounding me, you know, the the insurance company, my employer was hounding me to get everyone's cancer screening done. And all of a sudden, nobody's going to have cancer for a year. You know, how am I going to get my colonoscopies? Well, it doesn't matter because COVID. Well, wait a minute. What's going to happen? Well, you could tell in, in April of 2020 that there's going to be excess death down the road, which is exactly what's happened for any number of reasons. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have patients who are alcoholics. They can't go to AA meetings. This is disastrous. This is disastrous.
1: Disastrous. And, and, I, no, the, and by the way, that, when, that, when that came down, when they closed some of the meetings in Los Angeles that I'm associated with. I, I thought, oh my God, this—it just—it's just not going to work electronically. I was pleasantly surprised. For the record, Zoom did carry people at least six months, maybe twelve in some cases. Then they had to get back in person. They had to, right? But I'm at least relieved that we got about six months of, and we have a new mechanism to enroll people now into twelve-step, which is Zoom meetings, which is great. But still, it—it it, the idea that they just—you're, you know, we're going to arrest you if you go to the log cabin meeting. they're they're there to save their lives. They're there to maintain their health. Anyway, we got to take a break. Dr. Clayton uh, Baker is with us. Go ahead, Dr. Baker, finish, please.
0: No, I was just saying, what was your dropout rate, though? How many people did you lose, you know, to follow up with with AA meetings and stuff? Because, uh, you know, that's something that you just, it's hard to know. Anyway. Well, I mean, you
1: need no look no further than headlines on TMZ to see how many uh, celebrities are dying of addiction of various types. Yeah. and uh and this on the streets and everywhere else i mean of course the 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 stress of the lockdown the lack of access to meetings the depression the economic distress of course addiction mental health of course mental health was going to run out of control i i kept saying it over and over and over again there was no doubt about it there's just a lack of risk reward so we're going to bring dr victory in uh, dr baker other than uh let's see c baker md on twitter CJ Baker, X, MD. where else would you like people to go to yeah. find Ah, yeah it's at c. J. c j baker CJ baker.
0: Yep. baker m d at Where uh, else would like people to go: and I'm also on uh, Brownstone uh, Institute, so you can look at brownstone.org. My yep. writing's on there. Thank you very much and um, you can I gave a, an email that people can email me if they wish. I get an occasional email that I like to respond to if people are really interested um, and you can do uh, c j baker m d at consultant.com. <sighs>
1: Very good. We thank you very much. We're going to take a little break here. We've got to share with you some of our uh, enthusiastic supporters and the people that we support as well. And then we'll bring Dr. Kelly Victory on in with Dr. Baker. If you're trying to figure out the right present for someone, you will not go wrong with gifting the most comfortable sheets, clothing, and accessories that your friends and family have ever felt. Of course, I'm talking about Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth has the softest and most comfortable sheets, blankets, towels, PJs, joggers, and more, guaranteed. Susan and I love them. In fact, we still have Cozy Earth sheets on our bed. I slept in them last night. I was thinking of how great they were. And look at this. I'm wearing one of their super comfortable T-shirts right now. I, don't get, I just can't get enough of Cozy Earth. Their sheets are durable, machine washable, and come with a 10-year warranty against defects. So no surprise that Cozy Earth's brand has been featured on Oprah's Favorite Things for five years in a row. Whether it's their luxury pajamas, super soft bedding, loungewear, or plush bath towels, you will love shopping and gift-giving at Cozy Earth. Here's my gift to you this holiday season. Go to CozyEarth.com, enter code DREW, to save 40%. That's CozyEarth.com with code Drew. CozyEarth.com, code Drew, save 40%. These products have transformed my life and Susan's and saved her marriage. <laughs> Discover the key to oral hygiene, regardless of your current daily dental routine. Whether you diligently brush and floss multiple times a day or you struggle, you got bleeding gums, bad breath, plaque buildup, this revelation is for both of you. Surprisingly, over 350,000 Americans experience health issues that may be connected to their toothbrush or even caused by it, ranging from heart or blood sugar problems, forgetfulness, digestive difficulties, immune issues, all related to oral hygiene. Scientific studies have shown that a simple switch of your toothbrush can lead to a healthier teeth and potentially save your marriage. Yes, save your marriage. Our study. We did a personal study my wife Susan hates the sound of the sonic toothbrushes. But introducing the real white sonic toothbrush, of course, also their hydroxyapatite dirty mouth mineral toothpaste by Primal Life Organics. These products have transformed my life and Susan's and saved our marriage. It's much quieter. It's a very powerful toothbrush, but it is quiet and it saved our marriage. So The Real White Sonic Toothbrush from Primal Life Organics stands out among all other electric toothbrushes I've tried. It effectively eliminates plaque, harmful bacteria, promotes gum health. Get yours and enjoy 60% off at naturaltoothbrush.com slash I think everyone knows the next medical crisis could be just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of another pandemic or something much more routine like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their physicians on, like Dr. McCullough, frequently. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals you can trust. And their new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy.
2: It's really, it's a safety net. It's an insurance policy that you hope you're not going to need. But if you need it, you sure as heck are going to wish you had it if you need it.
1: Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin, z pack the Medical Emergency Kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all these life-saving medications. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID-19, the wellness company's Medical Emergency Kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured, knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to help you and your family stay safe from whatever life throws at you next. Go to drdu.com TWC. That is drdrew.com forward slash GWC to get 10% off today. Just click on that link. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv.
2: There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate of public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew.
1: Of course, welcoming Dr. Kelly Victory. And you know, Kelly, I was just thinking to myself, as we uh, change and update this show uh, with time, the one thing I never want to get rid of is you talking about everything in medicine being distilled down to a risk reward or risk benefit ratio. It is just such specific, universal truth about medicine. I, I want to hear it every day of my life and I want other people to hear it too.
2: <laughs> well, welcome, Dr. Baker. I've really been so looking forward to this conversation and I want to talk with you more about those sorts of topics and wh- how it is that, the, that there's been such degradation. In medical education that the average medical student or resident doesn't even understand that as the most fundamental construct in all of medicine is the risk reward calculation um let alone sort of the, the the fact that they don't even teach the uh, pillars of medical ethics and those sorts of things i really want to get into that with you mm. but before i do i want to go back and delve a little bit more into this issue that we were discussing yesterday with Christine Anderson and that you've written about very recently, which is the WHO treaty, because I think there's, unfortunately, so many people just before the show today, I was talking with some friends about, you know, the conversation and I said, well, we're going to talk about the WHO treaty. And again, these are very intelligent people, not physicians, not medical people, but they had no earthly idea what I was even referencing. The average American, I'd say probably 95% of Americans have no idea what this is. So the first question I would ask to you is, what's your elevator pitch? You're on the elevator with somebody. You got two minutes to say, to explain to them what this thing is and why they should care about this WHO issue.
0: Well, the first thing I would say, well, first of all, thank you, Kelly, for having me. I'm a big fan of yours and Dr. Drew's. Dr. Drew, ever since celebrity rehab way back in the day, (laughs) but, um, used to love that show. But anyways, um, the, my, my elevator pitch would be this COVID was a man-made catastrophe. No matter how you want to slice it, no matter how much you want to say this was uh, an accidental lab leak or whatever. And there's, it's, Absolutely, the case for at least two reasons. Number one, because this was a genetically modified virus. You know, there there just aren't furage. Fear- furin cleavage sites on coronaviruses naturally. And it didn't come from a scaly anteater. It came out of the lab in Wuhan. Everyone from Rand Paul Mm -hmm. to John Stewart knew that in 2020. Okay. So it's a man-made catastrophe. The other thing is that the COVID response was a man-made catastrophe Mm -hmm. because all of the collateral damage was for exactly the reason that you stated and that, uh, that Drew and I touched on a little bit earlier. And that is that no one gave a damn about the collateral damage of the lockdowns, right. of, the, uh, in, of the mandates, of all these school closures, all these terrible things that were done to people. So this is totally a man-made catastrophe. My second mm-hmm. point to that person on the elevator would be this. It would be that this is not, th- this is not, you can, you can see them by their, you can judge them by their fruits. Nobody is saying we screwed up totally, I'm stepping down or I'm going to totally re overhaul things. We're never doing this again. They're saying, oh, we didn't know. That's the best Mm -hmm. you get out of these people. And this is not, this is a template. This is a template for what's bound to happen in the future, in my opinion. And now you move Mm -hmm. to the WHO, sort of uh, the new treaty that they're supposedly um, producing. And what that is really in my mind is, setting the stage to allow them to just reapply this template whenever they see fit to do so and some of the language that's going into it is it's there was language in the 2005 treaty that said specifically you have to take into account the individual freedom and the benefits to the individual person that's being struck Mm -hmm. out of the new language right they had to they basically would have said now that 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 uh, countries are not supposed to communicate directly with each other they're supposed to communicate through the who you know so basically this is a power grab which allows them to kind of lather rinse and repeat what they did to us in 2020 through 2022. And if people don't realize that, then I think they're incredibly naive to, to an absolute fault that's potentially deadly.
2: Yeah, so I, I would go further and say, and I, I said it yesterday I'll say it again today, um, to be clear, the WHO is the long arm of the Chinese Communist Party. They work hand in club with the World Economic Forum they are not our friends and they do not have health, certainly public health or individual health as their core concept. That, that is not their, what they're after. What they're after is power. This has right. nothing to do with health. And whether you agree or disagree with much of what Donald Trump did during his presidency, the one thing that I, you know, I think you're hard pressed to disagree with was his removing us from the World Health Organization we should have extricated from, should not be part of it now. Uh, I also mentioned yesterday that the WHO's, uh, their program or initiative, if you will, is called One Health. Uh, And although I I like Drew and Susan, I like you very much, we don't share the same health. We don't have One Health, I'm here to to bring, okay? I like you, but we don't have One Health. Mine is very different from yours and yours is different from mine. And we all, we have individual health and the idea that this would be boiled down, and that's what I was saying in in that little open you saw, public health, you really are obligated to take into account still the impact of these programs on everybody. And it's not just uh, on their physical health, but their financial health, spiritual health, economic health, Uh, and that was absolutely ignored during the debacle that was the COVID pandemic response. So in your estimation, knowing what you know about the treaty, uh, it's my understanding that this is, you have to opt out of it. If you don't opt out, you are otherwise, as a member organiz- member country in the WHO, you're automatically in it. And it, as of right now, the United States and Canada have not opted out. Um, right. This thing is due to be ratified, I believe, in May. What's your understanding Of number one the likelihood of it passing and and what happens from there
0: i think that the i've heard different people make different projections you know people whose opinion i respect so i don't know how likely it is i think that um I think that the, the correct solution for the United States is what you said and what I offered to Drew earlier, which is leave the WHO, if not the right. UN altogether. And I think that that is really the solution. It's not an opt out situation, it's a get out situation in my yeah. mind. Yeah. And yeah. I think that if you remain a member of it, then you remain within their sort of purview to some extent. Um, you become kind of this this second-class citizen of that organization. Um, And so I I think that's really the only option. I couldn't handicap what the odds are that the United States agrees to it or not. I think that that may be something, uh, again, that we can make a difference in the people who disagree with it is really say, we need to get out of the WHO. My approach would be just get out of the WHO, not get – not refuse to be a part mm-hmm, of this particular mm-hmm, resolution. Mm-hmm. I really think that's the way to go because it's so egregiously bad. Um, why do you want to be a part of it anyway? And I think even threatening right. to leave the organization as a whole puts a lot more pressure on them because where does their funding come from? It comes from WHO's funding comes from Bill Gates, the Communist Party of China yeah. and the United States. I mean, no one else really pays yeah. into it in any significant amount. Yeah,
2: yeah well i'm happy to. I was happy to hear you say with Drew that uh, you don't think that the um the U, that the WHO has any teeth or, or an ability to really um you know follow through on their mandates or these sorts of things and again, to be clear for anybody who's listening, although they have teed this thing up to be related to health care you know this was with the WHO will take over if there's another pandemic, it's not so simple. it's whatever public health crisis as they define it. That public health crisis might be climate change, where they Absolutely. can say, you know, you can't drive your, you know, your gas car, or it might be uh, gun violence, and they say therefore you have to turn over your firearms. I don't know any number of things. It doesn't simply mean a global pandemic. Um, the the other thing that I think would happen if this did pass, uh, Dr. Baker, is that it gives. Plausible deniability to everybody in in our own government. The people we actually yes. did vote for, uh, our own Congress, mm-hmm. the people we actually did elect, now have plausible deniability because they can say, "Oh, it wasn't us. It was the WHO. We're really sorry that you you know you had to take this vaccine or lose your car, or lose your livelihood, or whatever the heck it, it was that happened." Um, and I think it would be which just we saw. If I may interrupt you.
0: I'm sorry, I agree, which I may add is exactly what we saw at every level of government during COVID, right? Isn't it? You know, we saw the local government Mm -hmm. saying, well, the state told me I'm supposed to do this. And unless you had someone with the cojones to stand up at the local level, Mm -hmm. then they did whatever Mm -hmm. the state said. Mm -hmm. And then the state, unless you had someone who had the guts to stand up at that level, then they did whatever the federal government said and so on down the line. So you're absolutely right. What it does is it gives our people cover to do the wrong thing.
2: And right. I think that that's right.
0: that's really where the teeth is, um, mm-hmm. I, and and you don't know what the teeth will be in twenty years, thirty years. You know, I, I've said this many times. You know, I'm fifty six. You know, I'm I'm not rich by any means, but I'm not destitute. I could move to the reddest county in the reddest state,
2: mm-hmm.
0: get a double wide and a twelve gauge and a pit bull, <laughs> and people would probably <laughs> leave me alone, and I'd probably be able to play out the string if I kept my head down. But what about our kids? What about our grandkids? I- You know, and that's the Mm -hmm. other sales pitch is, you know, do you want your kids to grow up in the United States or do you want them to grow up in Krypton Mm -hmm. where a bunch of people dressed like fools, like Klaus Schwab are telling you what to do from Switzerland? I don't want my kids to grow up in that world. I don't want my grandchildren to grow up in that world. And, you know, that's that's, that's another sales pitch.
2: Right. No, I want, I want the hunger games to remain fiction. (laughs) Not, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't really, yeah, Uh, I I really didn't want to be living it. So go ahead, Drew.
1: So so I I have a a couple of questions I want for both you guys. One, I just want to, I'm going to say something first and I have a question. Uh, just, I, I I hate it when people start attacking anything we say because of splitting hairs. So I always feel like I've got to run to our defense and uh, clarify certain things like you, you mentioned no fur and cleavage site on coronaviruses technically that is true people go there there are there are in nature yeah yes there are but the subset that is particularly represented by COVID 19 there are not so it's a true statement to say that there are no fur and cleavage sites in nature on the coronavirus in the subclass that coronavirus is a COVID 19 is a part of so let's just leave that. I don't want to hear any more about that from people. <laughs> Secondly, we don't, Kelly, talk a lot about what we should be doing. Uh, in other words, you you guys are putting your finger on something here that is kind of interesting and and needs to be called out, which is we're starting to see a revisionist history narrative getting oh, yeah. made. You see Gavin Newsom going around, I, I didn't do anything. You've got Fauci going, I didn't mandate anything. They did it on their own and right. they're, and they're finding these little loopholes to sort of wiggle through uh, to to sort of side to sidestep the responsibility for their actions which were egregious the only person that actually i think embraces what she did is deborah burks and what she did was awful and history will not be good to her sense of heroism and be evangelizing about lockdowns i don't understand why she's not being actively criticized or even from a legal standpoint, uh, addressed uh, what she did to us, but okay, it was her opinion. But my question is, what do we do with these people? What, What is, do, you know, to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again, other than the schools, you know, injured people suing the schools for uh, vaccines they didn't need. Do you guys think of other solutions so this revisionist history doesn't become history?
2: Do you want to take a, a bite at that first, Dr. Baker? Oh.
0: I'll give it a whirl. I think the first thing is it would be wonderful to see really the most egregious people see some kind of criminal justice. You know, I think that that's the first thing. You know, it's not just to have a scapegoat. It's to see that there is a legal consequence For doing this to people, you know, it's so egregious, you know, by the second episode of Tiger King, I realized that my civil rights had just been thrown completely out the window and so had my kids and so had my whole family and my whole community, my whole country. And that's that's really something that people don't appreciate just how diabolical that was. You know, the bill of rights doesn't say Mm -hmm. unless there's a pandemic, you know, Thomas Jefferson lost most of his family to infectious disease. He lost two kids to whooping cough. His wife had smallpox and it, it made her sick for the rest of her life until she died at 33. You know, Benjamin Rush was the Mm. first American to bring the true smallpox vaccine Back from England after the war, George Washington had smallpox. These people knew more about infectious disease and about pandemics than we ever will. And you know, even after COVID, and they didn't put into these documents, "Hey, unless there's an epidemic, you have a right to go to church. You have a right to go and earn a living. You have a right to speak your mind. You have a a way to, unless smallpox is in town." It's not there right it was never there and they knew that that could be a, a confounder and it didn't make any difference and people need to know this they need to know this is such an egregious abuse of fundamental civil rights we can go down to to the the issue with um with uh, medical ethics which I've written is really just a bill of rights for patients what it re- what those medical ethics pillars are mm-hmm. is they're really protections against patients being abused by the system and by physicians. It's like a bill of rights. It's like the 10 commandments, you know, thou shalt not, mm-hmm. you know, commit adultery or thou shalt not murder. And, you know, thou shalt not coerce a patient into taking a medical treatment that they don't understand and they don't agree with, and that could hurt them. It's the same thing. And so these mm-hmm. people, you know, this whole system just through every moral precept, out the window for this purpose. And, and you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of going on a rant. I apologize. But I would say that it would be really nice to see someone, whether it's Deborah Burks or whether it's Anthony Fauci or whether it's somebody, you know, pay some kind of a legal price for that. And that's yet to happen.
2: Yeah. So I I, I, w- I want to get like back rants, into the medical so ethics. So feel free yeah, to rant get, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would circle back at the before the end of the show on the medical ethics thing, but my answer to this Drew would be, and I've said it many times, there is no moving forward without contrition and without accountability. And I fully agree with Dr. Yeah. Baker that people need to be held accountable. And what remains to be seen is whether even the Republicans in Congress will do that with regards to people like Anthony Fauci, who perjured himself not once, not twice. But so many times with regard simply to the gain of function issue. He knows right. darn well that the United States was involved with the gain of function research. He funneled US taxpayer dollars to the lab in Wuhan. He was participant in that. And he perjured himself and they knew that. To have somebody like Gavin Newsom standing up and so many of them do the same thing and say, Oh, you know, it's a fog of war. We didn't know it was a novel virus. Gosh, if we knew then what we know now. Mm-hmm. Bullshit, okay? That's ridiculous. I knew, how did I know? I knew and I said the things I said from the very beginning, not because I'm a good guesser, okay? It's because we've known for decades that masks do nothing to stop the spread of of respiratory viruses. Social distancing, are you kidding? Standing six feet apart from somebody? And these things, Drew, weren't just nuisances. They weren't just inconveniences. People lost their livelihoods. Mm -hmm. You take a small mom and pop shop that's working on thin margins and make them put a plexiglass and and limit their their, capacity on bars and restaurants. We closed down, I mean, hundreds of thousands of small businesses Kelly. were closed down. Kelly,
1: not only closed them down, not only stressed them out financially, there was a a great example of a couple of restaurants that attempted to stay open with outdoor Mm -hmm. dining, mind you. Right. There's a famous place called Tinhorn Flats in uh, Burbank I think it is who when they attempted to they've been around for 50 years when they attempted to keep their employees employed their business operating not only did the authorities show up with guns they that place is still closed right. with a fence around it you can't even you can't even get into the the right. physical area anymore because the authorities came in and you dared to question their authority by trying to maintain your business safely. You dared question it. You paid really the ultimate price.
2: Right. And so, and by the way, I apologize for for talking about being on a rant. I apologize for cussing, but that's Dr. Baker. It makes me so angry that when people do this talk about revisions how could we know well there were those of us who knew and they shut us down they came after me i was banned from every social media platform they came after my medical license and no one's coming back and saying wow turns out you were right from the beginning but i I want to say you wanted to kill grandma
1: you intended to kill grandma you were a grandma killer that was your intention kelly how dare you i was
2: a yeah it was a yes. threat to humanity but so think how now, think so how look
1: at that now through the retrospectoscope look right. at that through history now people were right. railing on people like you for that saying right. that in those words think
2: how stupid that was i should lose that my license i should go to from? prison i should right. go to prison you know they they wished death on what me what kind and of, my what kind of
1: hysteria no. gripped us right right
2: it where did awful. that
1: come just, from uh, doctor well, baker you have okay. any theory about the hysterics and how well, profound and well, where let, it came from let
2: me just Let me just ask him one more thing when you you answer this, because I wanna know about how you feel about the complicity, and that's what it was, of our profession, because I would submit to you that none of this could have happened had physicians not bought into it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you wanna tell people the big news?
0: may or june of 2020 uh, i had three kids in school they were not in school they were home you know i'm in new york so they were home basically doing nothing and i got together with a friend of mine who's a pediatric emergency room physician we wrote a three-page document i did the bulk of it but she certainly helped and we looked up all of the available information at the time there was data from france there was data from ireland about kids about the lack of transmission of, of, of COVID mm-hmm. relative to adults with kids. Uh There were even, yep. there were, yeah, exactly. There were even preliminary, there was a lot of, you know, Sweden was all the rage back then because they didn't close their schools mm-hmm. and all this. We, we, I called up, I spoke with the health minister of Finland once. Um, you know, crazy stuff. I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? Mm. And we created this document. <laughs> I managed to go around town, and this was still early enough. This was June of 2020. And Mm -hmm. it was a beautiful summer where we were, things were winding down. People were just kind of taking a deep breath. And I got 24 physicians to sign this document saying the schools need to be open. This is why I can send you the document. Mm -hmm. It's kind of lost to the, in the histories of uh, the dust of time. We should put
1: it up. I'd love to see it.
0: I'll send it to you. And this was from, we got it out, I think in July 12th, 2020, and it was causing a bit of a stir locally. I'm in Rochester, New York. Mm -hmm. We had a press release and all this kind of thing. And then, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden people told me I can't be associated with this. I can't be associated with this. I can't Mm -hmm. be associated with this. And it just shut down the two. There's two major, um, health systems in Mm -hmm. greater Rochester. And they both told their people, you will have nothing to do with this. And I, from Mm -hmm. then on until this day, I'm the only physician in greater Rochester that I'm aware of who goes on any kind of platform and says anything. And there's Mm -hmm. 750,000 people. It's not a small place. Um, about two weeks later, a private a private um, uh, pediatric practice, I, I'm pretty sure they were inspired by our letter, put out a similar statement that schools should be open. About three days later, it was all over the local Facebook and so on that they wrote a written apology for having done this, a written apology. Mm-hmm. We, we spoke out a turn, blah, blah, blah. They had quoted the American Academy of Pediatrics, which at the time was putting some, some stuff out there that the schools should be open. Everything flipped in the, that some, around the school-related stuff, which was really how mm-hmm. I got involved with, with COVID sort of dissidents in a big way initially in that summer of 2020 where I was. And they just shut us down. They just shut us down. They knew exactly what we were saying. They mm-hmm. knew exactly what we were doing. And 99% of people wanted no part of it. They just said, I'm not mm-hmm. getting involved in this. And so that's my personal experience. And my personal experience yeah. is someone that owns you says you shut up and almost two person they shut up and that's that's terrible
2: yeah you're exactly we've talked about this before the reality is and this long long predates covid Uh, covid as you said ripped the veneer off covid you know revealed the man behind the curtain that that's the wizard Uh, Behind the curtain. Okay, this has been going on for decades. And it started with the fact I believe that physicians now are largely more than 85% of physicians are employees. They're employees of either large hospital systems, uh, medical practices, or insurance companies. And like it or not, you work for Mm -hmm. who pays you. You don't work for the patient. We like to think that you do, and the patients certainly want to think that you do. But the reality is, unless you're a concierge doctor or somebody who's independent like I am, you you work for who pays you, uh, and you're going to do what they tell you to do. Uh, and unfortunately, we this started long ago. And I want to segue this into. There's also been a massive change over the decades that I've been in medicine in medical education. I think, other than uh, you, mm-hmm. Doctor Baker, and myself, I'm not sure that your average physician has any idea that there are four pillars of medical ethics, let alone what they are. Uh, they don't even teach them anymore in medical school. And if you don't right. know what the four pillars of medical ethics are, it's you're hard pressed to follow them. Um, as you, right. see, you referred to it, I think rightly so, is kind of the bill of rights for medicine, so talk a little bit about, you wrote uh, a, an article about it, I, I think for Brownstone, touching on yes. that issue of of the medical ethics. So talk a little bit about that, because I think we were ripe, if you will. I think we, meaning the medical industrial complex, physicians, healthcare professionals, were ripe. To have bought this, um, this bogus, uh, story of, of COVID and to buy into this because this, this degradation of, um, of critical thinking, the lack of, of adherence to medical ethics has been going on for decades, unfortunately, as physicians have become more and more bought. So talk a little bit about that.
0: So you know, I think that we really should know those those medical ethics tenets really well. They were very historically, as you know, very well established. They're, they weren't controversial at all before COVID. Right. And you know, their autonomy, beneficence, non-maleficence, and justice. And autonomy has kind of got pride of place as the most important. And that's patient autonomy. We'd not like to think physician autonomy, and that we've probably seen that when you give up physician autonomy, the patient autonomy. W- disappears pretty it. quickly mm-hmm. in its stead. But it's really patient autonomy, as you know, and one of the cornerstones of, of autonomy is is real informed consent. Mm-hmm. And informed consent um, is, number one, it has to be absolutely voluntary. Number two, mm-hmm. you have to make sure that the person, as you said, kind of understands a risk-benefit analysis of what, you know, what the potential harms are, what the potential benefits are, And furthermore, they have to have full information. And that's really, that's a cornerstone of it. So none of those things were upheld in any way, shape or form during COVID. You weren't allowed to have the information. If you tried to get the information out there, you were silenced and you were not allowed to have an open conversation with people. You could get in trouble. I know people who got in trouble for just basically... really um, going through the, uh, the information sheets, you know, the, the attached sheets to the, to, the, uh, to the vaccine. No, you just give them the vaccine. And so this was absolutely dispensed with. And then, of course, you know, all of that risk-benefit stuff that you focus on so rightly goes into the beneficence and non-maleficence. You know, if you have no capacity to help somebody, they shouldn't be getting the drug. You know, that's kind of the beneficence thing. It's not a taking for one for the team kind of thing. It just isn't. And that's what we heard over and over again. You know, you're supposed to take one for the team.
2: No, that's
0: not the way medicine works. It's not the way it's supposed to work. And then, of course, non-maleficence, obviously, you don't do it in a vindictive and harmful way. And how much vindictiveness and harm was, you know, people without who, you know, vaccine refusing should die. How many times did we hear that from Mm -hmm. doctors I won't right. care for this person. Now I take care right. of a lot of patients, not nearly as many as, as, as Drew, but I take care of a lot of patients with addiction problems. I take care of a lot of people who have been in trouble with, with the law. I have violent felons amongst my patients. I don't judge them and say, well, you're not a good guy, so I'm not going to take care of you. That has no place in medicine whatsoever. That's maleficence. Correct. Correct. And, uh, and yeah. so we just saw this over and over and over again. And then of course, justice, you know, with, with, with medical ethics, it's usually described as distributive justice, you know, so it's like a rich person shouldn't get a one care and a poor person get no care, but it's also goes the other way. So the, 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 Burden should not be on the vulnerable and the benefits be on somebody else. And, and that's exactly what happened. You're telling these kids they're going to college that they have to get a vaccine that can only hurt them. And the rationale right. supposedly is that we want to get to herd immunity, which of course is absurd with the respiratory virus to begin with. So, you know, every single one of these tenets was just absolutely just shredded. It's like you took all, it's like you went to Sodom and Gomorrah with the Ten Commandments. It just got trampled on.
2: It, it's no, just it, unbelievable
0: yeah. what happened.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I remember thinking back, you know, looking at my own colleagues again, and I've been very critical of my own colleagues, and I hold them to account. I'm a trauma physician. You know, in my many, many years practicing, you know, hospital-based trauma medicine, I might be taking care of the police officer who was shot, or I might be taking care of the guy who shot him. I might be taking care of the patient who got hit by the you know drunk driver. Or I might be taking care of the drunk driver. It's not mine to, to judge. I give the same level of care to hey, them Kelly, regardless Kelly. of what they are. I just not yes, that's, I don't get let, to let play me. God. Unless yes, they let refuse me, let
0: to me. get the jab, then they're all right. Unless
2: things. they right, <laughs> right, exactly. Unless they refuse to get vaccinated, in which case, I can Th- then say, then they're not you humans, though. They, right. the hospital, they're not humanoid
1: but, at that point, right?
2: They're, yeah. they're
1: less human. Right. Remember, they're less human. Think about that. But, but, any, but anyway, I, I want to point out another area where it gets challenging like this. And I've, I've seen this a lot lately where if somebody's in their addictive disease or let's say they're even in some other severe mental health crisis where they're not in their right mind, let's say addiction, they don't know what they're doing, they're way in their disease and they do something at, to somebody. Let's say they have a, are sexually inappropriate or they you know, touch somebody where they don't want to be touched. That, and then years later, that person is in recovery and mm-hmm. the accusation comes forward. Is that person done now? Their life has to be contemned? Or do we say that was in their disease? This person has cleaned up his life. He needs to go back and make an amends for that, and there may even be criminal Mm -hmm. consequences. He or she needs to take those consequences. But the rest of us need to shut the hell up because this is a new person in their recovery from addiction from when their brain wasn't working. And people won't even forgive those people or understand the ethics of, what it means when somebody's in an altered brain state versus when they fully recover, it, it's getting ridiculous from, from my perspective.
2: Yeah. So I, I think, I, I just, I think back to the, the medical ethics, um, these pillars, Dr. Baker, I think it's, you know, it's criminal that these are not even taught anymore in medical school. So I think when you have a degradation of really the understanding, the core foundational constructs of of medicine and healthcare, the sanctity of the patient-physician relationship, the idea of informed consent, when you look at what happened during COVID, there was not only in little pockets a breach of the Nuremberg Code, There was absolutely, you know, part and parcel, you know, it was thrown out the window. The idea of informed consent was thrown out the window. The idea that people were coerced, mandated, shamed uh, into taking a shot that is, as of today, as I sit here today, November 8th, 2023, there is still not a single FDA approved injection for COVID. They are experimental still today. And therefore, no one, if you read the Nuremberg Code, can actually be coerced or mandated to take one. Yet here we are. So you made an interesting comment before we went on. You and I were chatting about the universities and, I, and the number that still are maintaining the mandates and those who aren't. And some observations, uh, you know, we were asking, you know, why, why are there holdouts? Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. The university mandates for vaccination.
0: So the last time I checked, I've been fortunate enough to do a little bit of work with No College Mandates, which is one of the main groups that's really fought this. And uh, mm-hmm. my friend, she's one of my great COVID friends that I've never met in person, but I've met over the internet, um, Lucia Sinatra, um, and uh, all of her people have done great work. And uh, at the be- just to put a little context in, at the beginning of the, um, I guess it would have been the 2021 fall year of college. Um, there are roughly 2,900 colleges in the United Colleges and universities in the United States, and all but about 600 of them uh, required some sort of COVID uh, mm-hmm. vaccination at that time. However, a lot of them have since um, dropped it. It's down to 75 holdouts now, just 75,
2: and it's through
0: a lot of a lot of pressure, intense pressure, um, and one by one they've picked away at them. But as we were talking about, there's some very interesting demographics about the remaining groups. It's not random. Mm -hmm. Um, I look at it and, uh, and, uh, I, I see some of the, well, Harvard, my proud alma mater, who's also the worst university in the country for free speech. (laughs) I just learned as well, but they're still mandating Mm -hmm. it. And, um, they are the number one recipient of NIH money in the country. The number two mm-hmm. recipient of N- NIH money in the country is Johns Hopkins. They're still holding out. Uh, none of the other Ivy Leagues are, incidentally. Um, okay. And then you look at a place like Rutgers. It's the only Big Ten school that is, and Rutgers has a very cozy relationship with Pfizer. They have a they get millions of dollars mm-hmm. from Pfizer, and of course, Pfizer's in New York City, and they're right across the, the Hudson River. And uh, then you look at the HBCUs, which I, I saw that and I immediately thought to myself, what on earth is going on there? Because obviously, if you know a little bit about the history of African-Americans and the CDC and the Health and Human Services, right. it's a rocky story. With the, you know, the, the thing most people are aware of is Tuskegee, which was an absolute mm-hmm. travesty. Um, right. But a lot of African-Americans are historically skeptical of government-mandated Shots and so on. And <laughs> rightly so. Basically, and, and rightly so. Absolutely. As, I, as um, I think Tucker said when he showed those people in, in Baltimore uh, dressing down Tony Fauci when he was making his door to door rounds. Mm-hmm. And Tucker mm-hmm. says, you know, they may be poor, but they aren't stupid. And, right. you know, so how, how do they address that? Well, through the associations of the historically black colleges and universities, they are funding aggressive drives to get these young people to get heavily vaccinated. I think it's a a very deliberate attempt to break that sort of resistance in the black community against some of the, um, you know, Skepticism, healthy skepticism about what these Mm -hmm. government agencies Mm -hmm. have in store for them. I don't think there's any question about it. And, you know, then you've got, you know, these pockets of very small um, liberal arts schools. There's a a whole group of liberal arts schools in Ohio, like Oberlin and so on. And and Mm there's something going on there. I'm not sure what that is. But you look at it and it's not because... There's any good reason. It's not because these 75 places are smart and the rest of the other 2,900 are dumb. It's because they're getting paid or they're getting, you know, strong-armed to do it. And I wish people would come to realize that. And it pains me to say it. My alma mater is probably the worst. But that's the way, that's where we are right now in the United States.
2: No, and I'm really hoping that, uh, back to the conversation we were having earlier, that there is legal recourse. I think people need to start the vaccine injured people or people who lost their jobs, their livelihoods, their their military benefits, whatever it was, because of these vaccine mandates, I think should sue. Um, I think that even the liability protection that was offered, the blanket protection that was offered to the vaccine manufacturers uh, because of the emergency use authorization provisions and because of the Vaccine Act of 1986 will go away when we are able to prove fraud. And I think that we will be able to prove fraud. Um, They were fraudulent. They withheld information about the risks from the FDA. They, uh, they They were were deceitful about the processes that they used to, to make the vaccines the ingredients of the vaccines and once we are able to prove fraud i think they will be open to liability but as you rightly point out again i'm also not an attorney um, but i don't believe that there's blanket protection for the universities or the employers or the whomever who actually forced these things On people. Um, And again, it doesn't have to be in the form just of a mandate, coercion or or threatening somebody that they will lose their job, their livelihood um, constitutes, you know, that that is a breach. And I'm really hopeful that there will be just massive lawsuits. I don't care if it ties up the courts for the next 50 years. I think without that, um, we are likely to see this kind of atrocity again, or I certainly fear that we are.
0: Well, I think the other thing that I'd just like to parenthetically add is, you know, we're talking about this, and then we're also talking, Kelly, about the situation of medical education. And, you know, the American Association of Medical Colleges is pushing hard for all medical students yeah. to get the jab. Right. And so, you know, right. what what what's the rationale for that? I think it's very much the same. There's absolutely no... um no medical indication for it and they know that but i i don't even think it's a a significant financial incentive because there aren't that many medical students it's because you're going to basically make every single one of these kids that's going through to become doctors basically one of the club there's going to be no pure bloods in medicine and that's what they want and and it's really it's really when you think about it it's diabolical and that's what what's really happening now it's just absolutely diabolical in my opinion
2: No, I agree. And we, you know, we've had people like, you know, we talk a lot about the unbelievable increases in disease rates and certainly the sudden deaths. The issues not only with cardiac injuries, but you know, falling uh, birth rates and fertility issues, and uh, everything in between. I think it's undeniable. You'd have to be living under a rock to not understand that there's been massive fallout from these vaccines. Um, The number harmed eclipses the number of people who are actually helped uh, by you know having some reduction, perhaps, in the severity of their illness. Um, Again, it's by orders of magnitude magnitude more people have been harmed um and again they're trying very hard to keep that that silent um i see the clock is winding down here drew are there things items yeah. that uh, you yeah. would like to press dr baker on before we let him go
1: yeah i am i'm just just thinking of something you just brought up in terms of l- let's say there hasn't been in sheer numbers worse effects so called from the vaccine but the phenomenon that has had no attention during the entirety of this of this um, catastrophe has been years of life lost. Even if you just take into effect the years of life lost from the mental health consequence of lockdowns and masking. Mm -hmm. And if you add in years of life lost from other interventions, let's say vaccine and others, it dwarfs. I, I say this over and over again. We were, we were not honest about who this was primarily affecting. And let's remember that the average life expectancy for a male requiring institutional care, average life expectancy after admission to a nursing home is six months. And we, right. were, we were destroying lives with six, seven, eight decades ahead in order to save six months. Now, I do believe we should absolutely save these people in the nursing homes and protect them, but not sacrifice the other. You could have done both. And that was what, right. you know, when they went sell, back to your original quote, Kelly, in the opening introduction, it all boils down to a risk-benefit right. analysis. Where did that happen throughout all of this? So to sort of wrap up uh, with Dr. Baker, going forward, is it a medical education problem? Is it a public health problem? Is it a bureaucracy problem where things on high have taken over from the actual caretaker, uh, in the room with the patient, where has this gone off the rail completely and what, what do you recommend for the future? Just as
0: sort of ending, concluding thoughts. Thank you. Again, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to talk with you guys and be anytime you want me back, I'll be back in a flash. But, uh, my, um, my take would be, was it, was it each of, was it A B C D? I would say it's all of the above. But I would say that the thing that we can do, I keep telling myself this, I tell other people who are like-minded or who are on the fence, I try to think of it, what can I do at an individual level, at the personal level? And what can I do then in addition to that at the systems level? And at the personal level, what I have to do is I have to take every single one of my patients that I see, and I have to redouble my efforts to be absolutely forthright with them about everything. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've really mm-hmm. found myself yeah. in some ways doing a better job taking care of patients in one sense, and that is, hey, do we really need to be on all of these pills. Let's see if we can get you off one or two mm-hmm. of them. And the patients love de Deprescribing, deprescribing as a, as, a, as a physician, and and in, empowering them. Look, what are you doing for exercise? What are you doing for your diet? What are you doing for your healthy? I'm a much more open mind about yep. supplements. I don't necessarily say you should be on yep. a, a, a ton of them, but I, I have a lot of people. I, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. I mean, that's like that's like water to me now. Right. And I don't want to put people on, again, mm-hmm. the pill burden's an issue, but I mean, those are things that I've come around to. So in some ways it's hopeful, but it's one person, one patient at a time. And I've gotten to the point when people tell me something, I just say, you know, I don't agree with that. I don't get in a fight with them. I don't get in an argument. With them. I, I think I think you're all wet. I just don't agree with you. I don't think it makes any sense. And let them think, let them chew on that. At the systems level, I think that for me, I, I try to I try to look at the things that are the priority right now. And it's hard to know because you listed them, Drew, and there's tons of them. But I think that one of the priorities right now as a physician is trying to do something to wake people up within our profession, that the the ship is completely, the ship, you know, the the house is on fire, as Peter McCullough said recently. The house is on fire and we need to do something drastic. And, yeah. um, I think that that's really, you know, we didn't get into the whole issue of the greater picture here with my little Halloween story and stuff, but that's, that's perhaps beyond my pay grade other than to write about it and opine about it. But I think within our profession, we have to sound the alarm that, look, the house truly is on fire. We got to, we got to change things yeah. dramatically. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Is that your population,
1: uh, speculation, the population bomb article?
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. So well, I would would encourage. Thank you so, thank you so much for for your time. It's been really a pleasure, and I'd love to have you back. In the meantime, I would absolutely encourage people to seek you out on the Brownstone Institute uh, website. I think mm-hmm. everything you've written, I have uh, not only agreed with, but I, I think they're, they're really brilliantly written, very approachable. Uh, and, and so people should go to the Brownstone Institute and read your stuff there. And then we should circle back and talk about some of these other issues. I agree with you, the house is on fire. Uh, and, and I've been sounding the alarm through this COVID debacle uh, we've got to do something uh, because, again, I will say, without the complicity of those in our own profession, we would not be in, uh, in the situation we are in right now. The COVID uh, pandemic response would never have uh, played out the way it did if more people had been willing to speak out, uh, be brave, be courageous, do what you did. Um, and so uh, I appreciate it and I'm thrilled to, uh, to have you back anytime.
0: Well, thank you both very much. I'm big fans of both of yours. It's great to have a chance to talk with you and get to know you. And, uh, and you say the word, I'll be happy to come back.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you, Dr. Baker. No doubt that will happen. And uh, Kelly, awesome. so I think the other part for us, and it, I actually I felt very positive with Dr. Baker's response to what I said. Oh, I do happened. too. It was kind of nice yeah. to end yeah. on a positive note. Uh, yes. But you and I need to keep talking in the meantime. and creep Because this, this, this story continues to unfold. And it's mm-hmm. becoming increasingly clear to people uh, what a mess, you know, and how many mistakes are made. And there's mm-hmm. growing mm-hmm. awareness and something like a consensus. So I think that's that's our job going forward. The other thing is the thing I mentioned early on is we got, we, oh, there we go, Brian O'Shea tomorrow and uh, Pascal on 14th uh, yes. and then Michelle Bachman on the 16th to talk about the World Health Organization treaty okay. so-called. And uh, I, but I, the, I give, we got to give stuff back to the patient. I, Kelly, I was thinking about something today. I was talking to a young kid on a different program who had had gotten uh, urethritis, which is sort of sexually transmitted mm-hmm. disease. And I thought, why shouldn't he have azithromycin on hand? I said, he goes, well, can I get a test? I go, did you take a test? Yeah, I take a, took a test. Was it positive? No, it was negative. But they gave me the azithromycin anyway. And I thought, <laughs> yes, that's what they do when people have these symptoms. We need to make things like this more accessible for patients when the testing is sort of neither here nor there. It, it, and by the way, provide for the partner as well. Why shouldn't have access to these things with some supervision, a little supervision, but it, having things so far behind, away from the patient, we have failed. We can't, we can't, we can't uh, watch the way we'd like to. So we need to help patients empower themselves. I, I really feel that's a strong solution to all the challenges that Dr. Baker brought up today.
2: Yeah, I think that there are lots of things we we need to do to to fix this ship. But I think part of it is bringing yeah. back the physician autonomy, meaning to disarticulate the relationship between the hospitals, the insurance companies, the big groups, I, so the physicians that are free are free to do with it. and it, but, it means uh, you know not relying on an electronic medical record yeah. to tell you what the drop down box <laughs> is and what your choices are yeah. and all of those things. We need we need a whole reset. Yeah. Um, and there's a medical Medical freedom movement, you know, behind it. So I think we need to keep talking about this and really rely on those people who are the warriors in the medical freedom movement. Um, I'm very closely aligned with it, and I think it's really the only way out of this mess.
1: Thanks, Kelly. We'll see you next Wednesday. I believe it's three o'clock. I think that's, that's correct, right. Correct, everybody. I think was or Tuesday. I can't remember. And, uh, I think Tuesday. <laughs> I think Tuesday. I'm back. <laughs> okay. And then tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll be back in here uh, at three o'clock uh, with uh, with uh, I'm blanking on his name Brian O'Shea. Uh, so Susan Brian will O'Shea, be no doubt right. in on that conversation because she's she's in very this beautiful <laughs> studio. She's yeah here at yes in, in the, Texas. All right. Yes yes. Uh, and I'm getting a lot of ideas for our studio at home. It's the Soundshed AV Solution Studio, and we'll be I don't back know what in here. I, sound like. to, I have a little Levalier mic on my. Like I my hope mic. they sound okay. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you tomorrow at 3 o'clock Pacific time. Uh. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Two seven three eight two five five. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.